Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 61 of the Silver Club Podcast. We are giving Colin the week off this week. He is getting his Yale Bulldogs ready for another run this fall, but lots to talk about real quick before we get to Lisa Cornwell and this great podcast. Big shout out to Patrick Cantlay for defending his BMW championship title at Wilmington Country Club. But the big event was the U.S. Amateur at famed Ridgewood Country Club in New Jersey, A.W. Tillinghast Masterpiece. And it was Texas A&M Sam Bennett who came out on top on the 36th hole. He was five up after 23, but let some slide. And Ben Carr from Georgia Southern jumped right in there and mounted his comeback. Made a huge clutch putt on the 17th hole in the afternoon, the 35th of the match, just to extend it from about 15 feet. And then just couldn't muster up the magic on the 36th, where Sam Bennett two-putted for the victory. But alongside those gentlemen, got to give a shout out to Stuart Hagestad. Seems like the main guy carrying the torch for the mid-amateur. He made it to the quarterfinals this year. That gives him and all the other quarterfinalists an automatic exemption back into next year's U.S. Amateur. And this week is the Tour Championship at famed Eastlake. Top 30 points earners on the FedEx Cup race will be there to crown the FedEx Cup champion this season. Who will take home the title? Will it be... Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Rory McIlroy, who will do it this year? We will just wait and see. On the Silver Club side of things, we are heading to Chicago today and playing famed Olympia Fields and Black Sheep just west of the city over the next two days. So take a look at our Instagram page for a lot of great pictures from our visit to the Windy City. As we get closer to the end of the summer now and very close to Labor Day, I hope you all have had a great golf season wherever you are teeing it up and have enjoyed some great weather. I know there's been a bit of a drought up in the Northeast, but hey, you get a little extra run on your ball. Anyway, looking forward to the fall and some cooler temperatures. The leaves are starting to change, but this is the best time of year to jump out there, get on the tee. These cool, crisp mornings, you're going to absolutely love them. September, October, two of the best months in the whole year to get out there and tee it up. Really looking forward to bringing you this podcast here with Lisa Cornwell. You know her. You love her from her time at the Golf Channel, now doing a lot of work with PGA Tour Live. Great hosting ability, such a depth of knowledge. Okay, but before we get to this great podcast with Lisa, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Silver Club Golfing Society. We've traveled around to some wonderful clubs this year, playing some camaraderie-fueled competitions that you definitely want to be a part of. If you love world-class golf and a little competition, this is what we're all about. Single-digit handicaps or plus handicaps are very welcome to join our society, and we got a great community of golfers representing 35 states in the United States already. Check out at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter, and go on our website, silverclubgs.com. Fill out the quick web form. I will personally get back to you. I have talked to everybody who has come on board and have been a part of this great society. Really look forward to speaking with you very soon. We've been fortunate enough to play some of the country's 
greatest courses, including Ballyneal, Prairie Dunes, the Inverness Club, Quaker Ridge, and we're even making our first international trip next month to Scotland and playing everywhere from Turnberry, Troon, having a proper 36-hole day at Muirfield, really going back where the Silver Club began back in 1744 and the origins of the competitive game. We're going to stop by the Leith Lynx, where it existed as well. So that will be a very fun trip that we're heading over to Scotland for a whole entire week in the third week of September. All in all, just a wonderful time to be a part of the Silver Club Golfing Society. If you hop in as a member right now, your dues will extend all the way out until the end of 2023. So really, it's a perfect time to hop on board with us. Again, at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter, silverclubgs.com on the web. Just check out our Instagram page. We have highlighted all the great venues we've gone to. The pictures are great. You'll get a real good sense of what we're all about. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank the sponsors of the Silver Club, the Turtleson Company, Putt View Books, Torch Eyewear, and Two Under. Thank you all for all of your support throughout this season and beyond. We really can't thank you enough at the Society for everything you do to support our event schedule. Okay, without further ado, let's get to the great podcast with Lisa Cornwell. Okay, we've got another wonderful guest on the Silver Club podcast this week. Welcome, Lisa Cornwell. Wonderful guest. You might be stretching it. Hi, Steve. I I am. It's great to great to chat with you. It's definitely uh, not a stretch. If anything, it's an understatement Uh, for me to be able to have the chance to interview you. You're the the interviewer extraordinaire in my book. I think you're you've always been super smooth when we work together on PGA Tour Live. I mean, your intros and your outros are fantastic. You are 100% professional. So if I can be uh, one-tenth of the uh, capabilities that you have, I will... Uh, oh, whatever. I will have remotely succeeded. So, uh, but thanks so much for joining. Kind. Thanks so much for joining us. We're here uh, towards the end of the PGA Tour season. Um, certainly that's been a big thing all around the world, professional golf. But talk about the, some of the things that you, you're loving about what you're seeing in the world of professional golf and maybe some of the things that uh, I know there's some there's some hot topics out there. No, they're hot <laughs> topics in golf? No way. Oh <laughs> no my way. gosh. It's, it, it's certainly not like the sport was 20 years ago. I can say that. I mean, look, I would say that the good far outweighs the bad. And uh, before I go any further, thank you. For the nice words thanks for having me it's you know i'm used to working alongside with you so this is this is very comfortable and natural only we're not calling golf but we just get to talk about whatever we want we don't have producers directing us so this is great even though those producers are phenomenal at pga tour live but um thanks for having me look i mean we're fortunate we are you know as we jokingly like to say we're golf geeks and to be able to work for pga tour live and, and to call golf and to see it as intimately as we do the weeks that we're there. I think that we're really blessed. We love the sport. I mean, and to be able to have that opportunity, obviously I'm very grateful for. Um, and here we are at the at the end of the season and the best of the best, the cream's rising to the top. I think that it's what you see in major championships. It's what you see in the playoffs. And just to be able to watch the, uh, the drama unfold, Wyndham was incredible. You know, all those players fighting for the top, what ended up being the 124 mark because of Tom Kim securing <laughs> that spot at 34. But look, I mean, we're going to go through this week. We're going to go through the tour championship and uh, just be grateful for 
the season and then gear up for, I guess, the uh, continued dogfight that is the other golf league, the Saudi golf league. <laughs> and, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't stopped talking about that. I won't, um, I, I care. I'm very passionate about it, but mainly just look at all the disruption that's taking place in the game right now. It's, it's unfortunate. There's litigation going on. There's, there's, um, some internal warfare on the PGA tour. I, I don't even know where we start with it all. Every, every day there seems to be something, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to a little bit of that, but I just, I want to have our listeners really understand you, who you are and where you come from and your, your love and your passion for the game. You've certainly been a, a fixture on golf channel over the years. Now PGA tour live. Now you're, you know, you've got a podcast, you've got, uh, you've got a, a book coming out at some point in the very near future we'll talk about. But your passion for the game, you're, in my mind, you're unlike most hosts out there because you played the game at a very high level a- as a youngster and coming into the college ranks. Just kind of just explain a little bit about your, your, your upbringing in the game and what you loved about the game and where it led you through the college ranks and all of that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like your story. It's a long story. Um, and like a lot of kids our age and like a lot of kids now, you know, we were very fortunate to grow up playing the game of golf. I've long been a student of the game. I mean, even before I started taking lessons from David Ledbetter when I was 15, flying from Arkansas to Orlando when he still had a trailer at Lake Nona. That was before he even had a facility. Hmm. But I was a 15-year-old and, you know, getting to watch the likes of Nick Faldo and David Frost and Nick Price and Jan Stevenson, all these players I admired and being able to watch them in person. Um, I remember riding a golf cart at Nona with David Frost going from the driving range to the putting green and then back and everything these players were doing, I did. But even before that, I was around at my golf course, really my mentor, his name's Jerry Hart, and he was a longtime student of the game. He was an older man. He was like a second grandfather to me. And I remember going to his house and watching old Bob Jones swing videos and just really diving into it as a young person and letting him instruct me. So it just got in my blood and it was more than playing. Like I really wanted to understand it. I wanted to understand the golf swing. I wanted to understand my, my mechanics and my tendencies. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I think that I'm, I'm really grateful for, with my career, not just obviously the time at Golf Channel, but the time now at PGA Tour Live and working alongside analysts like yourself and teachers, I don't claim to know as much as you all do. Um, I certainly don't because I haven't done it for a living. You know, I never turned pro. I've never been a, a golf instructor. And it's like anything, the more you do it, the more you understand it. But I try to understand it enough to be able to to be able to let you all shine in a way that I hope that I hope that it's successful in that regard. And to be able, when I was interviewing players to talk about things that I really thought was important, you know, we, we focus in this game on emotions and how you feel and the reaction. Right. But if you watch somebody win to me, there's always like one or two moments and a lot of times they're not the greatest moments. A lot of times it's it's maybe a bogey save or a big par saving putt that really, I think, changes the outcome of their fate. And over the years, to me, that has been the most memorable part of my previous job talking to players were those sort of those round saving or ter- tournament saving moments because it seems to happen every single week. You just have to pay attention to it. And then, 
you know, working with analysts and, and teachers like yourself who know the golf swing and getting to ask questions like I think a normal viewer would. I'm literally sitting there and I'm thinking, I want to know this. I want to know what he thinks about this. And we get to have that discussion. And so I do think that my my background in the game helps. Um, but yeah, I look, I, I competed from a very early age. I started playing in state tournaments when I was seven and carried over to the AJGA. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be a two-time All-American. I worked hard and got a little burned out. And so my career kind of took a little downward turn, but like I wouldn't change anything, Steve. I mean, I, I love it. Was there a moment in there? And I, I've, I was reading, you know, doing a lot of research for, for this podcast. I was really in very much interested in your story and how uh, you were the youngest in state history to win the women's state championship in Arkansas as an amateur. You were the first scholarship player on the women's team at the university of Arkansas. That's that's very cool. But what is there a point maybe that, that you said that was like a falling out of love with the game? And is there something you can point at? Um, so it's one of the things that we're writing this book has been very cathartic. And, you know, I've always thought about it. And I've, I've kind of danced around the issue over the years and said this or this. I will make it very clear. I've never pointed the finger at David Ledbetter. You know, he, people do that a lot with him. And I was really appreciative with my time with David. I learned so much from him. And so I didn't get burned out on the game because of David Ledbetter. I mean, he was definitely a positive. There were, there were, I think part of it was the competition. I did start treating it like a job. Um, mm -hmm. I was very much a field player before and not that the, the technical stuff hurt me, but I think that my approach as a 15 and 16 year old kid, I, you know, that was back in the days when we had the VHS camcorders and right. we'd take it out there. You remember we're, that. We're, we're dating and, ourselves here. We're dating I know. Ourselves. I know. But <laughs> see, you can find all of it online. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that I think that part of it was was that um, just my approach to the game changed instead of being a fun loving kid about it and staying up late at night and turning on the car, the car lights full blast, of the putting green and having putting competitions It became get out a chalk line and, you know, record every golf swing and get in this position. And I just, I became obsessed with it. So there were, it was that. And then there were some other things personally that happened that again, I go into great detail in the book and I'm sure, well. I really look forward to people reading about that as I kind of discuss that for a long time. Cause I think a lot of us, you know, we, we get burned out. And so it, it can be the sport. It can be the competition, but it's also how we just handle life too. And sort of that I guess that that was my story behind it yeah well you you have another part of that story too your second cousin was the president of the United States Bill Clinton uh, yeah. tell us about spending time with him and at the White House and I mean that I mean not everybody could do that get to play golf with a president let alone have somebody like that in your family yeah, I was really fortunate I mean I you know I've known Bill since I was a kid and I always thought that it was cool that you know, my dad's cousin and my cousin essentially was the governor of Arkansas. And um, when he first announced that he was going to run for president, we were all just like, oh, my gosh, OK, well, you know, this will this will be fun. I George Bush was president. He was extremely popular. And I was a freshman in college. And Bill and I only played golf, I believe, at one time at that point. But, I, you know, we would go down there for Christmas parties 
And it's another story that I go into pretty great detail about in the book. Um, I was actually at his very last rally and we contacted somebody and I was there as he was making his way to go back to Little Rock. And he essentially told me um, after he gave me a big hug, he said that they had just gotten the latest polls and that they were going to win. And he was like, I want you to fly into Little Rock. And I was like, what? oh my gosh. And so I flew to Little Rock that day and obviously was there for the whole election. But I, I think being at that rally um, really connected us. I mean, Bill had always, you know, he's a big golf fan and he had always paid attention to my accomplishments and, and would send letters. But something changed that day and we started playing a lot of golf together. And I remember being there on Christmas Day when the whole chaos of the transition was going on and we went out and played golf in the sleet and the snow. And it was the first time that I had seen the power of the national media with a soon to be um, sworn in president. It was chaos. And then once he was president and we would play, whether it was in Little Rock or in DC, I would go there every three or four months, uh, just having snipers and trees and riding in a presidential <laughs> motorcade and, you know, being at the White House. It was just all, I wish that I'd been a little bit older to appreciate it, but um you know, I'm I'm so thankful to have been a small uh, to be able to witness a small piece of history and a part of history. Um, I can't believe it's been so long ago, but it it really was a special time. And you know, Bill and I are still really close, so Wonderful. it's it's been a great ride. I'm very fortunate. Neat. Well, we I can't wait to read more about that for sure. Uh, you know, the Arkansas connection certainly, and you know, we think about great LPGA players that have played at Arkansas, and most recently, Stacy Lewis, Maria Fossey. Um, how much do you stay in connection with the program? And, you know, cause that's where your roots are there. You, you grew up in Fayetteville if, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I keep in contact with, with all of them. I mean, when I'm home, I, I try to get out there to the blessings, to the facilities. They're absolutely incredible. College facilities around the country are amazing to me. <laughs> They've changed a which little is, bit. <laughs> yeah. Changed. I thought that it was great when we got those winter cart mitts. Uh, when the university gave them to us with Razorback logos, that was like a big step. Now they're flying in private jets, but yeah, like we're all, we're all close knit. We, we stay in touch and uh, Shauna has just done a fabulous job with that program. She, uh, she, she was everything as a player that, that I didn't have. I really wish that I'd had her as a coach because her biggest attribute, I think for these young players, and they will tell you from Stacy Lewis um, to Maria Fossey, that she's an excellent course management person. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to instill that in her players, I think is, is really valuable for these college athletes. You know, they all come in with their swing coaches and psychologists and different things, but, but learning course management is not easy. So to have somebody like Shauna who not only had success in that category as a player, she's very great player at Georgia, but to be able to pass that along to her students, is a great recruiting t- tool. And I think that that's why a big part of it, she's had so much success. Right. Yeah. Shauna, formerly Shauna Estes, uh, now Shauna Taylor. Uh, we, we actually played. Uh, so I guess, I think we were on the Cannon Cup team on the, for the AJGA at the same time. Uh, I think we played at the honors course in like 94 or something like that. So Shauna and I, we've definitely run across each other. It's neat when a when a great player like that turns into a great coach and then 
can pass down all the knowledge like that. Uh, another great Razorback that I looked for in, in uh, I didn't look for it, it just kind of popped up on my screen and all my research was the great voice of Pat Summerall. Didn't know he was a Razorback at all. And, and it made me think of, for you being in the broadcasting business, what sort of, who was your biggest mentor? Who did you look up to as a voice, as a, uh, as a knowledge base, as a, as a sounding board, uh, as you came up through the ranks? I, you know, that's a great question. I've never been asked that question. That's, right. that's a right. really good question. <laughs> I know. And that's a hard one for me to answer. I think that I've always, I've always looked at sports from an athlete's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I could give you, I don't know if I could give you a great answer to that. Um, there's certainly a lot of people I admire. I mean, how can you not love Jim Nance and to be able to have that voice? But I mean, I look at Michelle Tafoya, what she's been able to do. And it's really these women who bring, for me, this this sense of professionalism, Robin Roberts. I mean, not only do they know their stuff, but it's not, you know, it's in this age of Instagram and this look at me sort of world that we live in. These people are just out there doing their jobs. Tracy Wolfson at CBS. I mean, obviously, I didn't grow up looking up to Tracy because, well, in part, I'm older than she is. Yeah. But, you know, I think that you just look at people like a Chris McKendry who go about and, and they do their jobs and they do it um, just in this respectful, knowledgeable way. I think that that's what's always stood out to me more than the voice. Maybe that's why I don't have the TV voice. Maybe I didn't pay attention to that enough. <laughs> it was more the the preparation and and the knowledge that's presented. I think one of the challenges for me in golf has always been as a golfer and a student of the game is to remember that I'm host, not an analyst. Mm -hmm. And so not to overstep those bounds. And that was one thing that probably took me a little bit of time, but I feel like at least hopefully you could probably say whether I need to work on that a little bit more or not, but it's, (laughs) you know, it's it's a line that I, it's a line that I never want to cross. And I always want to give my analysts, all due respect because people listen to you all to get that knowledge and to learn and, and to figure out how they can help their own games. And so it's, it's been fun. It's, it's always great to learn and try to get better. So I kind of danced around your issue, but Kim Venturi, I mean, my goodness, yeah, no. what a great ambassador, not only for the game of golf and sports, but for the Razorbacks too. <laughs> Well, I, I certainly don't think you crossed that line at all in all the, the work that we've done. Um, how long did it take you to get comfortable in front of the camera? Because your delivery is very smooth. I mean, for me, it doesn't look like it just takes any effort at all. But it's very difficult to, to have to hear the countdown in your ear and then just flow with something really smooth. And, you know, you've done it in the studio shows. You're doing it as a host with PGA Tour Live. Uh, how long did it take you to really get comfortable in that role? a long time. And I will, uh, you know, I will say this and thanks for saying that. I I don't feel those nerves anymore. I mean, occasionally something happens that you feel it. I certainly haven't felt it at PGA Tour Live, but um, look, I I battled some anxiety issues when I was on TV, especially in the beginning. And it, I think that it's just kind of my personality. I think I've always been a perfectionist. And when I don't feel like I'm good at something, or as good as I need to be, I'm hard on myself. And I think that that just sort of brought out some of those anxiety related issues. I mean, I used to get really nervous. I remember 
sweating and you get in that moment where you get the count in your ear and you're like, oh my gosh, I've just gone blank. I have no idea what I'm going to say. It's amazing. And it's happened so many times. And like I I learned from it, I guess the more comfortable that I got in the role, but yeah, it, it took me six, seven, eight years in broadcasting. Some people are fortunate. I think that just personality wise, they come in with more, more security in, in their job. But I just kind of always questioned myself whether I was good at this, whether I was delivering it the right way. And so, yeah, it was definitely a challenge. It was something that you can't really work on it either. You know, it's like in golf. How do you work on confidence? I can work on swing pass. That's easy. <laughs> How do you work on confidence? You can't. I mean, it's just you got to go out there and do it and fall on your face and fail and then get up and fail again and keep, you know, and eventually that's what I found is that I was a little just more comfortable with the job that I was doing and less hard on myself. Well, no, that's uh no, that's, that's a, and lorazepam helped in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Those, those things. Yeah. A little, what, whatever it's got to keep it, <laughs> keep it smooth. It's uh yeah. I remember the first time I got, I got called on a quick interview at the U S girls junior uh, for Fox one time. And it was the first time ever and I was, you know, I, I made it through it, but yeah, your 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 heart is beating out of your chest, and it's it's amazing how how the anxiety can definitely take over. Just like you're on the first tee at a major championship, yeah. it's uh, it's. But that's kind of why we get into it, I guess, right? To overcome that and feel the adrenaline rush and all that. Uh, that's that's kind of a neat thing. But uh, shifting gears just a a little bit, though, you know, for those who didn't see that tweet that you put out on January 1st, 2021. If I can just read it out there for you. The tweet said the first day, said this is the first day in seven years I'm not in a contract with Golf Channel and I'm free to speak up for the many women who've been marginalized, belittled, berated, and treated like second-class citizens, including me. The days of it being swept under the rug are over. It was a really powerful tweet. You were on No Laying Up podcast famously. Uh, just have to know, how has your life been since that moment? Much better. Um, putting that tweet out certainly helped. And, uh, you know, I talk about this book being cathartic. And it's actually, I think, perfectly timed. Because if the book had come out shortly after that tweet was made, it would have been a really angry read. I mean, I was I was angry and that that tweet was very honest with, with how I felt. Although, you know, you're limited to certain number of characters, which was probably a good thing because you can't possibly spell it out. Um, but I've, I've always been the kind of person who it's, it's really hard for me to stay silent on anything. If, if somebody does something to me, I don't, I don't go in a corner. And if I see something happen to somebody else, I do the same. And there were a lot of women that I had to stick up for at Golf Channel, including myself. And things just kept happening, you know? And it, it never made sense to me. It was almost like this little small group of people who just kind of thought that they were untouchable. And when things repeatedly happen at some point, you have to speak out about it. I mean, the Mizuno incident happened at ANA, and that was really the final straw. I said, you know what? These people, they they really think that they're invincible. And they, you know, I'd already filed an EEO, EEOC complaint at that point, and they still kept doing it. So I was very determined, yeah. And look, it's really simple. I mean, 
a lot of companies I know, I've talked to CEOs and different leaders. I'll say this, working at PGA Tour Live, they basically have the no asshole policy, no asshole, no ego policy. And if companies would employ that, you wouldn't have tweets like that anymore because you would have upper management and executives who wouldn't tolerate it. And unfortunately, Golf Channel was not like that. They welcomed it from a few of the people. And, you know, I will say, Steve, after I tweeted that and after going on No Lane Up and Washington Post, the number of people who reached out to me about the same sort of misconduct and a lot of times even worse. And they were all from the same perpetrators. So if you have this group of people who were gone, none of this would have happened, but they were allowed to continue to run rampant and and sort of rule in this dictator style way. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do something about it. So we're still in that in that battle. And and look, the the book calls all of it out. So I'm really proud of it because I think that it's important to call that kind of behavior out when there's no remorse. There's never been remorse. In fact, in our whole EEOC stuff, in our two complaints now, um, they've doubled down, which is crazy. I mean, they've said that I'm bad at my job, that I was hard to get along with, that, (laughs) you know, I didn't take criticism well. And those are all things that I pride myself on. I mean, Look, you can't be a successful athlete if you don't take criticism well. That's how you get better. I I welcome it. We welcome feedback. I want somebody to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Um, I love my coworkers as long as, you know, you're treated with respect. So, yeah, it's been a long battle, and I can't wait for a lot of people to read the reflections in this book because I I don't hold anything back. Yeah, I really think that the – you know, the world and life, it's its very much like a mirror, right? I mean, it's, it might sound corny or cliche, but, you know, you, you get a lot of what you put out there. And, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's, it's good of you to say that, uh, you know, that there's certain, there's certain workplaces that don't condone those things. And I think that, you know, there's certain people, I, I mean, I remember being a head pro at a few places and there's some, you know, there's some cancerous people, so to speak, right? That yeah. infect, that infect all the good people. And then it, it kind of sours the mood for everybody, only just a, a few. So um, one other thing that, that kind of jumped out at me was, and and this kind of goes back to what, what Tiger Woods said in his speech, uh, being inducted to the Hall of Fame. He had a quote and he says that you had to be twice as good to get half the chance, him being African-American and growing up in the game. And that was his perspective. Do you feel like the same can be said for women in sports? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I think that, um, like I've, I've seen a little bit of change with, with women in sports. When I first got into it, it was a little bit of a novelty. And I was okay with initially having to prove myself. I kind of understood that because I saw some women getting in who really, quite frankly, it, it, it seemed more like um, it was a look at me, I'm on TV, but there wasn't this sports knowledge based. And so in part, I understood it and I was okay with it. I never had a problem. What I had a problem with was when I had to do it after already proving that I knew what I was talking about after knowing that I cared about sports, that I, you know, I, I did the research that I did, you know, I knew about all sports. So it was easy for me to make that transition into this business. It wasn't just golf. So, but yeah, Tiger's exactly right. It's, it's a famous line that Condoleezza Rice uses. I've heard her speak at a couple of different 
KPMG Women's PGA Championships. And when it comes from her, uh, no disrespect to Tiger, but when it comes from an African-American woman, I mean, think about when she grew up in Alabama and what what it was like for her. And she always said that her parents taught her the only way to overcome racism is to be twice as good. Hmm. And look at what she did. Now, yeah. it's unfortunate that, that some people still have that. Um, they still have the need to, to be like that today. I hope it, that it's lessened. But sure, it's still out there. And. You know, you grew up playing golf with Tiger. I grew up playing golf with Tiger. I mean, I I remember specifically certain racial encounters that he came across. And it still incenses me to this day. Um, you know, I love Tiger's dad. He was he was a big sort of mentor to me and taught me a lot about the game. And and I know some of the horrible stories that they mm. faced. I know what some of the kids called him. And so for him to be able to talk about it and to really have changed the face of the game that he has. I mean, look, it's, it's something to be celebrated, but there's still work to do. Yeah, no, for sure. There's always, always seems like uh, you got to keep, keep fighting for what you believe in. And I, I, I definitely admire that about you for sure. Um, where, where did your trailblazing, this trailblazing mentality come from? Cause I, I feel like that's, and, and I think about who you have a relation to Hillary Clinton. You know, there's nobody, who I can think in the political world that had more trailblazing mentality than her. We're all meant to to be on this earth to do to do something and to do something meaningful. And maybe that's why you got away from the professional golf world and the collegiate world early on. And you know, maybe this is the path that you were supposed to be on. Do you feel that way? I'm one hundred percent. And I actually talk about that in the book. And so you're right on point. But yeah, I do. I think that this was the path that I was sort of destined to take. I will say it's funny because, you know, I'm very vocal on Twitter and I talk a lot about inequality and different things. I never knew that sexism really existed until I got into the media in my 30s. Mm -hmm. My mom was a full time surgical nurse and my dad took us to school and, you know, got us breakfast and did all those things. So in my family, everything was essentially equal. Now, the trailblazing mentality definitely comes from my father, mm-hmm. not my mom. I mean, she, some of these things that I've gotten into it, you know, she's learned to accept it, but it's been difficult for her. And my dad's the one patting me on the back and saying, come on, my sister's the exact same way. I think that, I think that we were just kind of raised to stick up for ourselves. And, you know, I grew up playing sports with guys. I grew up playing golf with the guys and I think in that sense, it's a little bit more of that mentality that I've always had. I think part of that because of my upbringing and, you know, my aunts are strong. You mentioned Hillary. I've just I've spent my life around a lot of strong women. And then you have my dad, who's who's a man who encourages strong women. So I think that it definitely has just been part of our upbringing, meaning my sister and me We're we're pretty much equal when it when it comes to that and how we operate and like, I'm thankful for it. I mean, there've been times when obviously, you know, not everyone is a fan of what you do. You get call- I get called out on Twitter by people. I've been called a psycho on Twitter, uh, you know, drunk. I mean, it's just the names that people will call you. I can't believe people speak to, to other people that way. I can't believe men speak to women that way. Um, social media is not that social. Social media, it? no, it's not. It's it's not a great place. But I'm proud of it, and I think that I think that you're right. I'm 
I'm really happy with where I am. I'm thankful I wouldn't change any of it. I have tried to learn a little bit. I've, I've tried to tone down my reaction. I think that I, I would respond to too many people and let it affect me negatively. So it has been a big learning process for me this, this last two years. And hopefully I've grown up a little bit in that and just becoming educated on, on how you behave and, and how it really reflects on you. And so I'm trying to do that in a positive way, but, but still come with my opinions and, and not shy away from that because I think that it's important. I think it's important to stand up for yourself and other people. Oh, very well said. Very well said. All right. So uh, before we before we get out of here, you, you talked about your book. When when can we see what this book is all about? Because it is going to be very interesting. <laughs> so the manuscript's due September 12th. And as you know, the process is it, it's not quick. Mm-hmm. So the goal is the reason that they wanted the manuscript in on that date is to release it during International Women's Month in March. So it will be out March of 2023. And hopefully they'll they'll let me sort of tease it a little bit with with some of the things in the book that matter. Um, yeah, as of right now, it's thirty nine chapters, seventy thousand plus words. <laughs> wow! I've never sat in front of a computer screen so much in my life. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I work the tour championship for PGA Tour Live, and then I'm finished. And then the next week, the book's due. So uh, you want to play some golf this fall? <laughs> Let's do it. Come up to Old Town fix, or you, whatever. I'll fix come down. My swing. There we go. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, one final thing, though, you're uh, you do a great podcast that debuted on May 16th. And you had Brittany Lincecombe, uh, I mean, and, and among others. But, you know, you talk about some, you know, some issues that are very important and they're difficult maybe to talk about, too, with some of them. Real quick, what's what's that name and and yeah. where can we find it? So it's called Like It Is. Um, it's available on all the platforms. The website is likeitisstories.com. And, yeah, it's, you know, it's not one of those that, that we're doing it every week. Uh, my goal originally has been twice a month. I've kind of fallen off on that the last month and that's just because of the book. But once the book gets turned in, uh, we'll crank it back up. I mean, look, there are a lot of things to talk about. Obviously I'm passionate about this whole live golf situation. I'm going to be more passionate when the conversation bleeds over to women's golf, which I think it will shortly. Um, Obviously as a woman to know what's still happening in Saudi Arabia and how they continue to, to treat women and then cover it up with, you know, concerts and sports leagues and all this other stuff that doesn't matter. Anybody who does just a quick dive on what real life is like for women in Saudi, including a guest that I had on the podcast, Lena Alhafwul, whose sister yeah. Lujane was in prison for a thousand days. So Epi- episode like, number is, three. Yeah, it was great. There great you go. See, I told you you've done you've done the homework. But <laughs> it's been great because again, I I felt like it at Golf Channel, you know, contractually you're really limited on things that you can say publicly. They don't want you to say anything controversial. They don't want you to have an opinion and I don't have to abide by those rules anymore. And so when we're talking about equality in golf, equality in the workplace, I mean, all of those things are open game. So I hope that we can expand on it. And I hope that the book will help continue those, those conversations because they're important. Well, I know you're going to use your platform for nothing but good and bettering the women's movements in the world of of sports and everywhere else. And uh, Lisa Cornwell, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today on the Silver Club podcast. It's been awesome and uh, can't wait to read your book, listen to more podcasts and uh, watch it on 
the tour championship uh, for PGA Tour Live. I can't wait for our next time working together. It's yes. great. Let's do it. Let's do it. We can't gotta wait. make it happen. <laughs> You're awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Just wanted to thank Lisa for stopping by the Silver Club podcast this week. She's got some great insight on the game that you'd never want to miss. Always good to catch up with Lisa. And thank you for being a part and subscribing and downloading all of our previous 60 episodes of the Silver Club Podcast. And if you haven't, jump on there right now. We've got a lot of great ones we've done with great instructors like Boyd Summerhays or Bob Toski, or great characters of the game like Vinnie Giles or Jason Gore. Hop in there, check them all out. We look forward to bringing you another Silver Club Podcast real soon.